Thus I would woo and wean them from the Word of God, and having severed that connection, I would suggest for them a new direction that meets my needs or has more meaning for me, that appeals to younger people or just is simply new or sensitive. By just such schemes, I would dislodge their feeble trust in God and in His Word and set them free to worship self, that is, to worship me. Welcome to the Inverse Theology Project. I'm your host, Tia Moore. Since Satan's great and burning desire is to displace God, it makes sense to think that he would do everything in his power to divert people's devotion from God as a first step. And this is precisely what he does, as he reports to us in Part 8 of Satan Bound, which is entitled, Corrupting Worship. Mankind was made for worship as the plants were made for growth. His very being pants for something far beyond himself, above him and around him, something he can love and dedicate himself unto with all his strength and soul, a trusted friend to call upon in prayer. He needs a deity to lavish thanks and praise upon, one he can trust and turn to in his times of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, one who will hear his prayers and show him kindness, steadfast love, and constant goodness, lifting him above his trials and fears to heights of joy and peace where blessedness and boundless hope increase, and he experiences a glimpse of heaven. To every human being it is given to seek such a transcendent anchor for the soul, a light of truth, a trusted store of faithfulness and never-failing grace and peace. Hence my dilemma. Who would place his hope and trust in me for all of this? How could I get them to believe the bliss they seek in life is lodged with me more than the deity himself? I'd need a plan much more sophisticated, subtle, and discreet to get the Lord's redeemed to stand with me instead of him. So I began experimenting, trying out my plan by stages, until I was certain I had hit upon the perfect lethal lie which, custom fit to every person, could ensure that they would turn their backs for good on God and follow me instead. The key, of course, would be to keep sincerity in place while fostering disobedience in small increments. No one will count it sin if he sincerely thinks that he can do whatever he believes will help him to exalt the Lord in worship, and if he can justify his actions by some plea to reason, changing times, the need to be more like the folks in his community or other explanation, Others, though they may object at first, will simply go along with him, unable to refute his reasons and unwilling to dispute with him about the worship of the Lord. Thus I would woo and wean them from the word of God, and having severed that connection, I would suggest for them a new direction that meets my needs or has more meaning for me, that appeals to younger people or is simply new or sensitive. By just such schemes, I would dislodge their feeble trust in God and in his word and set them free to worship self, that is, to worship me. I blundered early, though I got a laugh out of that thing about the golden calf, for I was just too bold, too in their face. They would be wary about giving place to idols after that. Prudence required that I proceed more cautiously, inspired by the establishment of priests to bring to God the people's daily offerings, I managed to enthrall the minds of two of them with something clever they could do, as they would come to see it, to advance God's worship, and which, if it helped enhance their status in the people's hearts and eyes, so much the better. 
I let them devise some new approach to burning incense to the Lord, which he had told them they should do, but in a certain manner only. Yes, but would not this new style help them to bless the Lord as well? Well, no, as it turned out. Too dead, a grieving father left to pout in silence, and a flustered leader not quite certain what to do or how he ought to fix this mess. And put yourself inside the mind of every other priest beside those two. Would you not be a little wary of crossing some forbidden line, chary of leading people in the worship of a God who, though he protests of his love for them, would cavalierly, some no doubt would see it, thus I think, snuff you right out if you don't absolutely toe the line in worship? And would you not set your mind to make sure that you rigidly enforce the jots and tittles written in the source concerning worship, making worship oh so formal, oh so fraught with fear, and so completely lacking in the very thing God wants his people most of all to bring to him in worship, heartfelt thanks and trust? Thus from the start I made true worship just a little bit more difficult for all those dimwits, dolts, and dunces who would call upon the name of God instead of me. I set in place a plea for purity in worship, a determination on the part of some to make sure all is done according to the book, a preference for just the right elements and forms, no more, no less, and let such things as joy and heartfelt thanks be secondary to the art of liturgy, tradition, and the way we've always done it. Do I have to say it outright? Such perverse rigidity will not please God. But, oh, it pleases me to see so many worship leaders vaunt their legal loyalty to God's covenant, exalting thus their faithfulness and wills and leading worship that so often kills communion with the deity. Let such their worship be, and it will never touch the heart of God, nor ever train them in his love, but only mire them deep in sin. As some could be persuaded to insist that worship of the deity consist in strict conformity to every form and element, still others hoped a norm for worship to define by turning to consider what the pagan peoples do in worship. Now I know this seems extreme, but once you fully understand my scheme, the genius of it will be plain. I sowed the thought in some that, since the Lord bestowed on them the obligation to shine forth the knowledge of his name in all the earth, that it was reasonable in reaching out to other peoples that they learn about the kinds of things such people tend to do in worship, then conform their worship to what pagan peoples can embrace with ease. Just such a gesture would be sure to please their neighbors, though it may seem strange to some to have their worship filled with emblems from surrounding cultures. What about the clear word of the Lord that says we must adhere to his instructions in our worship and not dare embrace the practice of the land and peoples all around, they would protest. But does not God, who has so richly blessed us, want us to reach out in blessing to the pagans? The reply would come. How do you plan to do this without coming down to where they live? Such reasoning would drown out every protest and divide the host, an unexpected boon, if I may boast a bit, and so in time, their worship would include whatever pagan practice could be just about justified as helping to proclaim among the nations the eternal name of God. And fighting factions would appear, each claiming that it faithfully adhered to God's priorities and casting doubt on those who in their worship went about it in some other manner. It would take their kings to bring, bridge these factions and to make the people dwell in peace, 
Their role would be to make religion public policy, that is, to make sure every sacrifice and feast was duly observed, all nice and proper. But to court surrounding kings by tolerating pagan offerings and practices within their courts, and to make sure that there were priests and prophets who would pipe the tunes for which the king would pay them handsomely. Meanwhile, he would allay concerns about such pragmatism by some show of favor to whichever side was feeling slighted or concerned, all in the name of public weal. Such blatant sin was overlooked in time as people learned to get in step and let their hearts be turned more by contemporary practice and political expediency than the revelation of the Lord. Thus I confused and compromised their worship by such subtle means and helped them give the nod to me in worship rather than to God. Corrupting worship came to me with ease. I led these foolish people to displease the Lord in many ways, and all the time let them believe that everything was fine in their relationship with him. They thought that they were doing just what he had taught them to, when all the while it was their own self-interest and convenience which alone defined the norms for worship. Oh, of course, there were few who manage all the worst abuses to avoid, but their prophetic harangues and slight had slight effect on those pathetic and silly people, who, except for a brief revival seasons, gave no end of grief to God with their vain worship. Idols perched on every mantle, Sabbath days besmirched with commerce were the norm, few tithe, the feast days were but spottily observed, the least and greatest of them, every corner cut in worship, thinking all the while that what they offered God was good enough. And though he spurned them, oh, their worship pleased me so. And that was quite enough for me. And here is why. Assuming God was very clear on how he would be worshipped, that his word reveals the way to come before the Lord in worship, then to augment, modify, or circumvent this is to buy the lie that worship, after all, is really not about the Lord at all. And so I taught them, worship is for you, you stupid fools. So go ahead and substitute your rules and guidelines, practices and norms, your own ideas for those sent to you from the throne of heaven. As long as you can justify your actions, they won't seem to you a lie at all. And you can go your merry way and all your foolish fleshly lusts obey, exaggerating, mitigating and exchanging God's revealed design for man's and in this way, by now I think you'll see, leave off adoring God and worship me. And so my stature rose among the legions of my adoring hosts here in the regions above, and every act of man on earth proclaimed the might and greatness of my worth. That brings to a close Volume 8 of the Inverse Theology Project. Visit our website, www.ilbe.org, that's A-I-L-B-E dot org, to discover the wealth of resources available to help you grow in your walk with and work for the Lord. You can review all the previous issues of the Inverse Theology Project by going to the website, clicking the Resources tab, then clicking the Inverse Theology Masthead. Volume 9 of the Inverse Theology Project opens on Ecclesiastes chapters 10 and 11, in which Solomon tries to talk some common sense into the head of his wayward-tending son. Until then, for the Fellowship of Ilba and the Inverse Theology Project, this is T.M.S.